It helps when you're up here to hear an amen. It just means I agree. Um, we can translate that into I understand what you said if you don't really agree, but I like to know you are understanding as well. Uh, so you feel free at any point. You can be opening your Bibles to Genesis 15. Um, and uh, this, uh, I was telling Janice a couple of weeks ago when I was working on this, we may go a little over today. I hope you don't sweat it. The Holy Ghost doesn't start at 11 and end at 12 on, you know. Many churches start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. We're not going to be that church. Um, but we do have some broadcast things going on. So uh, I, I apologize if I lose you uh, online. But you can go to our website or even in here right now, you can pick up your phone and go to uh, the Calvary app uh, that you, of course, have already downloaded. Um, Calvary Baptist Stanton is how you find it. Go to sermons, go to sermon notes, and everything I've got in front of me, you will have in front of you. And uh, so you can make notes or, or whatever you need to do. Uh, but, but we want to look at Genesis 15. I started to tell you a couple weeks ago, Janice, said, what, what's coming up next? And I was kind of telling her, and I, I said, this is a pivotal chapter in all the Bible. She said, you've said that every week, okay? And I said, because every week it's true. Um, we, the, 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 the title of this whole series is Back to Basics. And I, I've just been, I don't know if I've just been studying Genesis more or God... Uh, as he led me to preach through this book, which uh, first time I've ever done it this way, preached through it. Um, maybe it's just because of that he's given me uh, to see other things, but it just seems like it is so rich every chapter. But people other than me said this is the pivotal chapter because Genesis lays the groundwork of everything we believe. Everything that happens in human history afterward starts in Genesis. We, we can see the foundations that God is laying to do the work that he continues to do. And in this chapter, we see the, the, the recording of uh, the first fuller revelation of God's redemptive plan. Uh, and let me explain what I mean by that, because there's a bunch of big words that just had to get out of my head. That is that even in Genesis 3, God hinted at that he was going to provide a savior when he, when he said to Satan, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed, the woman's seed. Well, no woman carries seed except Mary. Without the aid of a human man, she found herself with child, placed there by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to Christ. And so it is a hint that we didn't understand for centuries, but millennial actually, that Christ was a fulfillment of that hint that God gave us. But here in chapter 15 of Genesis, though it's only 12 chapters later, it's several uh, hundred years, maybe even over a thousand years later, uh, where God is revealing what's happening through this man, Abram, and what Abram, how he responds to God here. And, and so we're going to look at that together. And here's what I want you to take home with you today. God makes covenants that stand, all right? Um, would you back that screen back up again? I want you to see that picture. It, it looks like a blue and white picture. That's a picture of the Milky Way, because that's going to play in later. You see how it's almost like a white streak across the sky? I don't know if you've ever been where you can see the stars well, but if you can see the Milky Way, it's very, very bright when you get out of city lights. Anyway, all right, you can go back to the other slide now. I want to ask a question as we begin, and that is, that is simply this. Who, who do you want to trust you? 
or from whom do you desire trust? Now, in this place, in any place we would be, there are several answers. I would ask you out loud, but uh, we, we are a little compressed for time, so I won't. But, but you want your boss to trust you, and if you are a boss, you want your employees to trust you, that you are, uh, you're a faithful boss, you're going to take care of them and, and provide what you promise to provide. If you have a friend, you, you want that friend to trust you, you want to trust your friend. You, you want your children to trust you, and you want children usually want their parents to trust them, especially when they become teenagers. They like to say it, don't you trust me? To which I always replied, I don't trust myself. Why would I trust you? <laughs> so, uh, but I, I would think that the, the, the probably on earth, the, uh, the earthly relationship that where we desire trust to be trusted and to trust would be in marriage. But you see, in all those relationships, there's a problem. Those relationships are occupied by human beings. We're not God, so we don't know the future. We're not God, so we're all powerful to make the future whatever we wanted or do it anyway. So we're not all knowing. We're not all powerful. So when we say, if I even say to somebody, you can trust me, I almost want to go, but not really. Because I know I'm going to mess up. I know I'm going to fail. And you will fail if I trust you. And I, I understand that. God knows we'll fail. He says in Psalm, I remember your frame. You're just dust. He knows how he made us and what we are and, and, and what we became under sin. And so it is reasonable for us to understand that and to live our lives, to try to be trustworthy people. I mean, I, I was a Boy Scout. That's in our oath. A scout should be trustworthy. Uh, it, uh, you know, we, we, we want to be trusted in our relationships. But I think the person that wants us to trust him more than anyone is God. Now, that sounds silly because God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our love. He doesn't need our attention, our affection. But he is glorified by us and he wants to be glorified by us. I do, I do believe and he wants us to trust him. And we come to Abram today and I'm not going to be able to read all of it. But I want to put us back in mind of where Abram is in this moment. Because chapter 14 ends, and we're going into chapter 15, and it simply says after these things. Some people think it's a long time. I don't think it was that long. At the end of what has happened in 14 is uh, invaders came down, took away the cities of, of the kings, those five kings, and, and they, uh, they took away the people and all the spoil. And Abram hears that Lot had been taken, his nephew. So he mans up, grabs his men, 317, I believe it was. I can't remember, over 300 men. They go chasing, and those 300-plus men destroyed all these nations. These mighty nations have been oppressing another nations. God gave Abram the ability to destroy them, and he brings back all the spoil. He brings back all the people. Nobody was hurt. Nothing was lost. He comes back, and we learned about Melchizedek, which is, we could spend another five weeks on that, so I'm not going to go there. But I want to point out the king of Sodom who came out. Because the king of Sodom said to Abram, hey man, you, thank you, you saved us, you saved us, you just keep the money, and, and we'll call it even. And Abram said, no, I'm not going to keep the money. The fuller answer was, the guys that went and fought, these 300 plus guys, let them keep what they got because they went at risk of their life and all of that. So let them keep their money and you, you know, provided their transportation costs, basically. He said, but I don't want you to ever be able to say you made me rich. 
Well, that's a step of faith. I mean, somebody's offering you kingdom's worth of wealth, and you say, no thanks, God's got it. I don't need you. That is a step of faith. And right behind that, we kind of, the first verse of Genesis, it's 15. And here's what God says, the Bible says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And here's what God tells him, listen, fear not, Abram. So the very first thing is shalom, or fear not. Be at peace, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, there's two ways to translate verse 1. And I don't like the way the ESV that I'm reading translates it. I like the way some other Bibles translate it. it it's, it's close, and it's not like two different ideas. But I, I think it, God was being very specific here. And it could be translated this way out of that language of Hebrew. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am your reward, and your reward is very great. So they had a little struggle doing that. The way the SV puts it, uh, I am, you know, I am your shield, and your reward will be great, like what you get later. But God is saying, I'm enough for you. We just sang a song before uh, our brother and sister testified to us. We sang a song that no matter what is going on in our life, God is more. Y'all heard that word? I hope you're paying attention to the lyrics. And Pastor Andy doesn't pick songs that just sound good. He picks songs that say something. And what it was saying is God is more. Whatever your need is, God is more. He can do more, the Bible tells in the New Testament, than you can ask or think. It says that he is able to do exceeding abundantly more than you could ask or think. Let me translate that to you, illustrate that to you, maybe in some plainer English. If you bring God a thimble, an empty thimble that needs filling, you need some grace, and you think you only need a thimble full of grace, brother, sister, he'll fill that, and it'll overflow. But if you decide you need a glass full of grace, and you bring him a glass, he'll fill that, and it'll overflow. You say, you know what? That's not enough. I'm going to bring a bucket. Here, God, I need this much grace. He'll fill that, and it'll overflow. And if you bring him a wheelbarrow, he will fill that and it will overflow. And if you could and you carved out the Pacific and the Atlantic and the Indian and whatever body of water they just renamed to give us an extra ocean, God would fill that with his grace and it would overflow because you will never have more need than God has ability to give. You've got to understand that. And Abram did what any of us would do yeah, God, but you said you were going to do this, and when's it going to happen? Look what Abram says in verse 3. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring. I'm getting old. Sarah's still a babe, but I don't know if she can have a kid. Right? Y'all remember, he lied to the kings. I guess you had to be here. Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold... The word of the Lord came to him. Abram says, you didn't give me a child yet. And now this servant of mine in my house, he's going to get the inheritance. God has just told him, I am your reward. He said, yeah, but I want something here. I think we have done something, at least in the North American church. I don't know if this is worldwide or not, but I see it very rampantly in the North American church. And the words I'm going to use sound strange, even as I say them in my own head, they sound weird. We have made an idol out of heaven. 
Now that's weird to say it that way. But understand what I mean, because I may not have said that right, but I can't figure out a better way to say it. We talk about streets of gold, gates of pearl, precious stones, people that we know and love that are already there or we believe are going to follow us there. We talk about all the angels and all that stuff. But the center of attention in heaven is God himself. We tell people come to Christ because he will save you and he'll do this and he'll do that. All that is secondary. You come to Christ because you want to follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of the universe. And he's given you an opportunity to know him personally, to make him, have him be your brother and, his, and God be your father. And you're looking for lollipops? No. And God says to Abram, I'm your reward. I am your shield. I'm going to protect you. Yeah, but I want a baby. You said you were going to give me a baby. You're going to give me a baby. This 100-year-old whiny baby is crying for a baby. We do the same thing. Don't be fussing at Abram so bad, Stuart. You do it, right? Listen, if you don't like that message, you go home, turn on your TV radio. There's a thousand preachers out there going to be telling you how to live your best life now. But if you're living your best life now, brother, you are going to hell. Because there is nothing better than heaven and God. And you aren't there yet here. And so if you're not trusting God for that in the future, you're being like Abram. But I want something now. Can I have my birthday cake now? Can we have Christmas six months early now? You know, Americans put meals in the microwave going, hurry up, hurry up. Right? See, he, this word trust that I use, let me give you the Bible word for that, faith. The Bible word for trust is faith, or the English word for faith is trust. Because when I say faith, you think belief in something I can't see. No, it is trusting what God said. God told Abram, I'm going to do this. And he wasn't meeting Abram's timeline. So Abram's going, hurry up. My biological clock is ticking like this, right? Y'all didn't see my cousin Benny, obviously. All right. Thank you. Well, some of you did. You just didn't know, did, I, did he do that on purpose? Yes, I did. And we get so impatient. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things. Let me explain that. The substance of things hoped for. Hope for is not a weird hope, but it is confident expectation. God's going to do it. And you sit here in prayer and you say to God, this is what I need. Now, down here, the evidence of things not seen is when he answers the prayer. You didn't see it. Now you do, because here's the evidence of things not seen, is the faith. And the struggle you and I have is living in the meantime, because we don't see God's perspective. He knows what he's going to do. He's already got it worked out. It's going to happen. But you and I have to live in the meantime between those two points on a timeline. And we call that living there faith. Because we have confident expectation, we believe what God said. The word, the biblical word for belief or faith implies in it also an action. Let me illustrate it. It's a famous illustration. It's about a chair. I'm just going to pull the chair out this time. This here is a chair. Solid. Man, it, it barely rattled. I believe that chair can hold me up. 
But it's not doing a thing for me. Why? Because I'm not sitting on it. The Bible word for faith is not just believe with your head. It's trust with all you got. I'll pick my feet up. Because I believed in this chair that it would do that. That's belief. And that's the kind of trust or belief God wants us to have of him. That we trust in him. We rest in him. We are abandoned on his grace. And we, uh, we just trust that he's going to do it. And Abram loses it there. And I want you to see how God answered his prayer. Because God always answers the prayer of a believer. And it's always yes. Let me show you what, how God did it here. So... In the, the very next verse here in chapter 15, if I can turn my page again, it says, uh, after his whining, and his, there we go. The word of the Lord came to him and said, this man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. I'm going to give you a boy. Now, Abram's still going to mess up. We'll catch that next couple of chapters. And he brought him outside. Here's God's response. No, Abram, you got that wrong. He's not going to be your heir. Follow me. Come out here. Takes him outside and he goes, look up. And when Abram looks up, what does he see? He sees the stars. Now, I don't, again, I don't know if you've ever been where you can see the stars well. I, I pretty much have not. I've, seen, I've been in a place where I see them better than here. You've you got lights of cities. You can look at nighttime satellite images of nations and see that they're pretty lit up, most of them. But my son, when he first moved to Lynchburg, he'd get off work or school and he would just run up some mountain and he'd string a hammock and he'd stay up there. And he'd spend the night and he'd come down the next day, go back to work or school, whatever he was doing. But while he was doing that, he, was, he would take pictures. And he, he, one time I just remember he took a picture of the night sky and we got to see it. And oh my goodness, I, 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 I've never seen that many stars before. But he's on top of one of the Blue Ridge Mountains where wasn't a lot of city lights and he could see the stars better. Think what Abram saw when he stepped out, outside that tent and God says, look up. Think of how many stars he could see because he doesn't have any city lights dimming the view. And God says, start counting, buddy. Not only am I going to give you a son, I'm going to give you that many kids. God didn't say, now Abram... Listen, son, you ought to be believing in me. He just says, look what I did. Can you see that? Because Abram knew the story. You know how those stars got there? There was nothing there. And God said, stars, be, boom, in that instant. The universe full of stars and galaxies and comets and every anomaly we are just now discovering was there. In that instant, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God said it, and bang, there it was. All right? And God says to Abram, look at what I can do. That's not even God. That's just what he can do with one spoken word. And when you read your Bible, you ought to read it thinking, what kind of God can do that? What kind of God could say that? What kind of God could claim that? What kind of God could take a lost person and make them into a saint and when you write that down and say an all-powerful God an all-knowing God an all-merciful God a God full of grace then you fall on your face and say thank you God how great is our God and how small am I
And so God tells him, look up at the stars. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. And he, and here's the verse, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. People ask me so many times, how did people in the Old Testament, we say, get saved? If you're not familiar with that term, maybe you're not a churchy person, get saved. We say get saved. That's very southern. It's, it's actually spelled G-E-T, but we pronounce it G-I-T, get. Get saved, all right? It's get, I know, but get. Um, I'm just a redneck from South Carolina, so you've got to forgive me sometimes. What does that mean? It means that I was lost because sin took me away from God and I'm wandering around without God, without direction. And God saves me by taking me out of the kingdom of darkness and putting me into the kingdom of light. Giving me purpose, revealing himself to me so I can follow him the rest of my life. We call that getting saved or becoming saved. So Christians sometimes say, well, how do people in the Old Testament do that? Because Jesus didn't come until, you know, in the New Testament. You just saw it. You know how people in the New Testament get saved? Just like Abram did. He trusted God and God said, Here, I will lay that account as you are now righteous. Because you're not righteous. But God can make you righteous. The Bible says when we do surrender ourselves to God and say, Yes, God, you're great. I'm not. I want you. I want to follow you. He gives us the righteousness of Christ. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Let me tell you how serious that is. In, in, in the times of King David, when he was a young man, and he's running from Saul, the king who wanted to kill him. And Saul wanted to kill him for no reason. Saul's son, Jonathan, and David became best friends. And Jonathan gave David his armor. There were only two suits of armor in Israel at that time. King Saul had one and Jonathan had one. Jonathan gave David his, 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 his armor and in essence, they made a, they made a pack. He said, when, I know God's going to make you king. This is the king's son talking. King, he goes, I know I'm supposed to be the next king, but God's made you the king and I'm going to serve you. If I'm still alive, I'm going to serve you because I believe you're the king. And so I'm asking you to take care of my family if I'm not around. And David said, it's, I'll do that. And he put on Jonathan. The Bible says we take off the filthy rags of sin and we are clothed in Jesus Christ. We take on his identity. We're identified with him in his life and in his death. He died for us, but he rose again. And we now live the life we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. You following me? This verse is the foundation of that. Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's how you're saved. That's how I'm saved. And then guess what? Right as he says he believed God, he whines a little bit more. <laughs> In verse 7, uh, 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 I'm sorry, let me back that up. In verse 7, he said, I am the Lord who brought you out from the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, how, how do I know that's going to happen? He didn't think God's word to him was enough. Brother, let me just tell you something. God's word written down in Scripture is enough. It's more than enough. You have to, re I'm telling you, that song, I, I just love that word more. If you don't know God is more than enough, you, you, you're living a very life of poverty. 
He said to him, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all these and he cut them in half and laid them each one half over the other. And he, but he didn't cut the birds in half. And when the birds came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. You say, that is a weird thing to do. It is to us, wasn't to them. They had this ceremony. This is how they made a covenant. They would take an animal, cut it in half, lay it open, and the two parties would agree on the terms, and then they would walk through the dead animal. And kind of two ways to look at it. One is if that animal could come back to life, then this covenant's no good. Or it took death, it will take death to break this covenant. You, marriage is a covenant. The person you marry is your husband or wife until one of you dies. Period. Okay? Now today, we've, we, we do that in a different way. We do that between two lawyers. When we make contracts, right? The discussion is there. But here they cut animals in half. So he lays out all these animals... But he waits on God to do something. And, and he keeps the buzzards away. And look at verse 12. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. I need to pause just a second to let you know something. That is the same word used in Genesis when God put Adam to sleep, take a rib out. So this sleep is, he ain't waking up. I, I would ask how many had surgery, but I won't. I've had surgery. I, I've had my gallbladder out. Uh, and, and, and they said, Mr. McCarter, we're going to take you to the operating room. And the next thing that I heard was, Mr. McCarter, you need to wake up. It was done. Didn't know they did it. Took an organ right out of my body. Slept through it. It's wonderful. <laughs> Abram ain't going to wake up. I'll tell you why that's important as I read on. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram in his unconsciousness, I don't know how that works, but he did it. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They'll be servants there and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. And you shall be buried in a good old age. And you shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, listen, on that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abram. Abram didn't make a covenant. He was knocked out. God made a covenant. A covenant means this. That you two agree on terms. And if one person breaks the terms of the covenant, the other person still has to keep them. You cannot. And God said, as I told you, he knows our frame. We're just dust. That we wouldn't keep the terms anyway. So he made a one-way covenant. This is what I'll do. And this is what he did. Now, the promise was to give Abram's descendants God's promised land, right? But I want you to not just get focused in on Jewish people and the, and the area we know as Israel or the Canaan. I want you to see something else here. I, I want to ask a question. This, this may cloudy the water. It may make it clear. Is anybody in here Jewish? You are a Jew. I don't mean that derogatory. I don't see any hands. Every believer in Christ should have raised their hand. 
Because you don't understand that term Jew as a physical inheritance. You understand that as the Jewish people were the chosen people of God to bring us the Old Testament covenant and to bring us the Messiah. Romans 2, Paul says this, you are not, one is not a Jew who is one outwardly, whose circumcision is of the flesh, because that was a sign of obedience in Judaism. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, whose circumcision is of the heart. In other words, our hearts are totally exposed to God, and we become his people. And, he, and Paul writes... Paul wrote those words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In another place, he wrote these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That God is bringing all things under the authority of Christ to the church. That in the church of all people, he's making one people. So it's now not Jew and, and Gentile. It's not barbarian and culture. It is not man or man. It's all in Christ. In Christ, we have no color. We have no race. We are all in Christ together. We are one body. He's made up a body out of believers of every nationality and every race and every ethnicity. As, as Robert was talking, we, we had some other conversations. In those, those house churches he's talking about, there's Arab people, there's Jewish people, there are European people, English speakers, and other European peoples there. And out of all, it's the church. It's the church. And, 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 and I, I'm not being derogatory to who Robert and Rima are. I, I want you to understand he was giving you a message here that the Ameri North American church needs to hear. That missions and church aren't two different things. Mission is taking the mission that Christ gave us and planting churches everywhere. I want you to follow that. This let me ask y'all, are, are we in Jerusalem? Well, then how in the world can we be a church? Because wasn't that where the first one was? But see, somebody went on mission, and we are a foreign field. You said, but I was born and raised here. I'm not a foreigner. <laughs> if you're lost, you're a foreigner to God's kingdom. And if you're in God's kingdom, this ain't your home. It's still to come. We got to quit looking at what we can see with our eyes and start to understand spiritually that out of all peoples, God is making a people in the church that glorify God through Jesus Christ, his son, who gave his life, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. God made covenant with a lamb that was slain. And if you want to go to heaven, you walk through the blood of Christ to get there. And I don't mean that derogatorily. I mean in the sense of a covenant that you are covered by the blood of Christ and his blood is on you. And Christ has paid the price for you to be in a covenant relationship with God so that you can say, Father. And in fact, Paul said, so you say, Daddy, Father. Hear your child in the name of Jesus, our brother who paid the price. And he said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. Through Christ, we get the Holy Spirit who then walks with us. I, I, I hope you heard last week's sermon uh, under Pastor Stephen. I, I watched it and, and saw it online as he was doing it. And man, what a great sermon that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And out of all men, he's making one man in the church. And we use the term missionary and pastor, but we're all workers in the same field called the church. 
I'm so thrilled to hear how Robert put that today to us. So what can you do with all that? Well, first, examine your standing in God's covenant. Paul also said in the New Testament, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. You heard Rema's testimony. She was a good girl. I, I understand that a little better. She said that in the first service, and then I heard her explain a little bit more. She was raised in a typical uh, a traditional church setting, the name of which doesn't matter, but it, it would be where there was a lot of things you had to do and perform, and you had to work a certain way. And so she thought she, she was doing what she was taught. I learned something. People only do what they know, and they only know what they're taught. So she was doing what she knew. She had been taught in, in this very religious setting, which was Christian, but she was trying to work and do the right things. But one day she heard a preacher happened to be Baptist, Thank God for that. Now, we get to hear from you. Where she gave her life to Christ, she got saved, right? She came to know Christ. Now, this work that she did to earn salvation, that doesn't mean anything. But now, the work she does shows her salvation and glorifies God. It now has meaning. It gave meaning to her activity of trying to please God. Because now, as his child, everything she does reflects God in her. And so she was religious but lost. And examining that position in the covenant. Am I in a covenant relationship with Christ or am I just religious? God desires relationship. Man makes religions. And there's plenty of them. So if I were you, I would examine where you are in a covenant relationship with God. Have you made and accepted his covenant? In fact, let me give you another word for covenant. Testament. And we have a new covenant, a new testament in his blood. Where now in Christ we can know God. And so the second thing I would tell you is trust God for his unbreakable promises. 2 Corinthians 1 says, as many as may be the promises of God in Christ, they are yes. And through him we give the amen. And so God has promised. Faith is trusting in what God has said. And so here's my question for you. Are you in a covenant relationship with God? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a second. None of us are capable of keeping a covenant fully. That's why we make covenants just to make them more serious and stronger in our own minds and, and will to try to keep them. But no matter how hard we try to do that, since we are human, we will fail. So God made a covenant with us and all he requires us to do is say yes to him. He does all the heavy lifting. He does all the hard work. And if you will say, yes, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to be his disciple. I want to know him fully. Then God will begin working in your life and bring you closer and closer and closer to him, reveal more and more of himself to you through his word and through God's people. And so if you have never done that, if you don't know for certain, for sure, if you died, you'd go to heaven, that you don't know you're in a relationship with the Father and that dying here is just to get in whatever vehicle God uses to leave this alien land and go home then you might want to pray something like this, Lord Jesus, and I stand here today and I pray, Lord Jesus, I accept the conditions of your covenant 
You paid for it all. And I want to say yes to you. I want to follow you. I want to be like you. I want to reflect you. I want to bring God glory, and I can't do that unless you fill my life with yourself through the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, Father God, we accept all the conditions that you set and then you paid for in this covenant. And I simply surrender my life to you. I want to follow you. If you're here or if you happen to see this part online and you pray to God sincerely, not the words I said, but if you are seeking God and you cry out to God, he will come into your life and he will do a work that starts now and ends in eternity. Nobody's looking around. Please keep your eyes closed. If you don't have them closed, please close them for just a second. I'm going to look around. I'm just going to ask in this room, if you prayed that prayer right now, some prayer, some sort of prayer where you wanted Christ in your life, I'm, just, I'm not going to ask you to do anything past this except to talk to me later. Would you slip your hand up and back down? Would you just raise your hand up and down? I, I just want to look around and see. I just want to pray for you. All right. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name for the work you do in our heart and lives. And we pray the rest of this day we will live uh, for you. And tomorrow when we wake up and you find your grace is new every morning, that we will live in your grace tomorrow to glorify you. Thank you for this day and the grace you've given us for it. And may we live to glorify your name in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, if you did pray that prayer, you didn't lift your hand, and you want to talk to somebody, you can still talk to me, okay? You can come up and talk to me, Pastor Bobby, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Andy, Robert and Rima. They will be glad to talk with you about what all that really means and, and help you further. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Go with God.